Welcome to episode 78 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below. As I settle in to record this podcast, I'm very aware that it's only one task of many that's on my priority list, and that list seems endless. It often feels discouraging because certain items keep getting recycled from day to day, week to week, over and over. One might argue that they don't belong on the priority list. After all, how important are they if they can keep getting pushed back? But the challenge is that they are important. Part of the issue is dealing with the unexpected and other items taking longer than I planned. An even bigger part, however, is procrastination. It's this very topic we're going to tackle in this episode, guided by Rory Vaden, author of Procrastinate on Purpose. Part one, initial insight. It was several years ago when I read Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek, and my idea of time management changed forever. In a nutshell, trying to manage your time is, well, a waste of time. It's more about what you're doing with your time and how you're managing information. Information overload is a reality for everyone, and we generally consume way more information than we need to accomplish our goals. We also consume information as a way to relax. For an introvert, that can lead to your downtime not being as relaxing as it should be. Because in reality, it's still noise and stimulation coming in, taking up space in your head. Here's another way to look at it, as shared by blogger Cami Pham in her post, Seven Things You Need to Stop Doing to Be More Productive, Backed by Science. She wrote, Being productive is less about time management and more about managing your energy. It is the business of life. We need to learn how to spend the least amount of energy to get the most benefits. I've thought and spoken about energy management instead of time management, and it's validating to hear that idea echoed by others. Since the main defining characteristic of what makes an introvert an introvert is energy, where we gain it and drain it, it makes sense to speak of productivity in terms of energy, not time. We need to become energy-efficient introverts, producing without depleting. Part two, your voice. Usually I share a shameless self-promotion here, but that feature will rotate with a new one I'm calling Your Voice. This is where you have an opportunity to share your personal insights, advice, and experiences. For this podcast, I ask my newsletter subscribers to share their best productivity tip. Andrea and Mary took me up on my invitation to call into the Google Voice line, and Maureen shared a tip on Facebook that I'll wrap up this segment with. Hi, this is Andrea calling from Olympia. My best productivity tip that keeps me focused is blocking big chunks of time on my calendar as busy, but they're chunks of time just for myself. Having a two- or three-hour stretch on my calendar with no appointments, meetings, or phone calls lets me relax into my work and stay really focused. Hi, my name is Mary, and I'm calling from the U.S. with a productivity tip. I often find myself in the middle of something, and then I'll get a notification on the computer or phone, and I think to myself, oh, it'll just take a second to answer, but then I find myself off working on five other things. Um, So I've started using time blocking, where I set aside 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or even maybe two hours, and I force myself to focus only on that one task. And then once that time is up, I might take a short break and move on to the next time block, Since I've been using this, I can get to the end of the day and see real progress on my to-do list instead of just adding new items to it. So I wanted to share, and I hope that helps someone else. Maureen points us towards a life hacker post about the personal Kanban. 
Here's the tool in a nutshell, as described by the Post author Alan Henry. Personal Kanban is a productivity system that's easy to get started with, only has two real rules, and is designed to give you a simple visual look at what's on your plate, what your priorities are, and what you've accomplished. The two rules are visualize your work. In short, you should be able to, at any time, look at your overall workload, be able to determine quickly what you should work on next, have visual cues for priority and time to complete, and that system should be easy to add, remove, and reorganize. The second rule is limit your work in progress, or the WIP. In other words, limit the number of things you work on at the same time. This does two things. First, it makes it easier to visualize your work because you keep a lid on how much you have going on at one time. Second, it also helps you to avoid the dangers of multitasking, not to mention burnout. It was awesome to read about this because I realized that my virtual assistant and I use an online platform called Trello that has similar characteristics to the personal Kanban system. We've loved using it to manage our workflow, and it has significantly cut down on back and forth emails. If you want to learn more about this free tool, visit Trello.com, and that's spelled T-R-E-L-L-O dot com. And Kanban is K-A-N-B-A-N. And if you want to learn more about how you can be part of a future Your Voice segment, please visit the page for this podcast at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Part three, the conversation. Let's not put it off any longer. It's time to talk about procrastination and how to use it for good, not evil. My guest is self-disciplined strategist Rory Vaden. His book, Take the Stairs, is a number one Wall Street Journal, number one USA Today, and number two New York Times bestseller. As an award-winning entrepreneur and business leader, Rory co-founded Southwestern Consulting, a multi-million dollar global consulting practice that helps clients in more than 14 countries drive educated decisions with relevant data. He's also the founder of the Center for the Study of Self-Discipline. His latest book is called Procrastinate on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. Roy is the world's leader in defining the psychology around modern-day procrastination called priority dilution. In fact, he coined that term. He speaks and consults on how to say no to the things that don't matter and yes to the things that do. Hi, Roy. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I am excited to talk with you about procrastination and self-management today. Oh, thank you for having me, Beth. And um, I'm an introvert myself, so I like one-on-one conversation and doing it over the phone instead of being out in public in front of everybody. Isn't this awesome? I know. It's like the perfect format for introvert conversation. (laughs) It is. It's great. Well, you've started to answer my first... Oh, actually, no. My first question is about what's making you smile today. Oh, what is making me smile today? You know, I will say this. I... Uh, obviously study New Year's resolutions a lot and mm-hmm. uh, we do a lot of polls and things like that about them. But one that I set this year was that I was going to do something physical every single day, even if it was, you know, five minutes of sit-ups. Mm-hmm. And so far, um, I have done that every day without missing a day. And I'm really happy about it. It makes a big difference. Even just like a few minutes a day is ma- making a huge difference. So that's making me happy. Awesome. I love that because it's um, it's challenging that all or nothing thinking that we can often have about physical activity. Well, if I don't have mm-hmm. an hour, then it's not worth it. Right. Yeah. 
Great. That's wonderful inspiration. In 21 days, you know, we are talking on January 21st. So you're on your way to making it a habit. Ah, <laughs> yes, I guess we are. Well, as long as I get it in today, otherwise it's all, all erased. It's if all, I don't yeah. do it today, it's just all, all. <laughs> start all over again. <laughs> so you started to answer this question, but you know, where do you feel like you fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum? And how has that awareness influenced you as an entrepreneur? Gosh, that is such a great question. I've never been asked that question before. And it's funny because I know that I have misinterpreted a lot. You know, I speak about 70 times a year regularly, you know, more than a thousand people in the audience. And, you know, I've got a podcast and a blog and I'm always out there in public, but I am such an introvert. I would say that barring necessary conversations and things that have to happen and problems that need to be dealt with, if you strip those out, I would probably be like a nine or a 10 on the introvert scale. Mm. Um, I probably operate more as like a six or a seven, but naturally I, I totally recharge from being alone and it, it has affected our business dramatically because our leadership team likes to have meetings and I don't like to have meetings. I like to lock myself away in a closet for a day and it's like, I will come back to you with it solved. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they want to have meetings, they want to talk, they want to do social gatherings. Um, now, one thing that's been a really healthy dynamic is that I have surrounded myself with other leaders who love being around people. They don't like the spreadsheets. They don't like the, not that a spreadsheet makes you an introvert, right. but they like to spend time with our people. They like to throw the parties and they like to do incentives and contests and recognition and they handle all of that. And I handle like all of the strategy. And that's where it's so important to be aware of where your strengths and challenges lie so that you can surround yourself with people with those complementary strengths and desires even, you know, to naturally think of, well, of course, we have to have a party about that, you know, (laughs) Um, because that might not come naturally to us. But ultimately, it's maybe what's best for the business or the group. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to move to the topic of your book. And I have to say, of all the titles of business and personal growth books that I've seen, I think yours is my favorite because it's called Procrastinate on Purpose. And I have to admit, I'm, you know, my name is Beth and I'm a procrastinator. And it's not, I know it's not just me because there's one thing that I hear over and over and over again from my coaching clients is that they want to overcome their tendency to procrastinate. Mm -hmm. Um, What have you found to be at the core of our tendency to procrastinate, even about the things that we really care about and are really excited about? Well, before we dive into that, let me say that one of the things that's been so fascinating, our first book, Take the Stairs, which when that came out in 2012, we introduced three different types of procrastination. And that book has been translated into 11 languages. And then it spurred the writing for this new book because procrastination, as it turns out, is something that we all struggle with in different ways. So the first type is what we call classic procrastination. That's consciously delaying what we know we should be doing. And that's what we all think of when we hear the word procrastination. And so we can talk about that. There's a set of sort of psychological or emotional things that affect that. But the other two are are much more fascinating. The second one is what we call creative avoidance. And creative avoidance is a term that uh, I coined because it's what I struggle with and it's what I do. And being that I study procrastination for a living, I wanted something that sounded much more academic and sophisticated than just labeling myself a low-life procrastinator. So I came up with creative avoidance, which I really love. And creative avoidance is unconscious. It's unconsciously creating stuff for ourselves to do so that we can do those things as a way of avoiding doing the things we know we really should be doing, but that we don't feel like doing. 
the Take the Stairs book really was about tackling those two. It's about the psychology of overcoming procrastination, improving self-discipline, and how to get yourself to do the things you know you should do but you don't feel like doing, i.e. take the stairs. Take the that's stairs. The, you know, <laughs> that's the metaphor of the first one. But in Take the Stairs, we mentioned this third type of procrastination, which we're calling it's the new procrastination, and we call it priority dilution. And so here's what's fascinating is the first two, classic procrastination and creative avoidance, affect the people that we typically think of as procrastinators, which are somebody who maybe is disengaged or they're just apathetic, they don't care, or they're lazy or whatever. But priority dilution is the opposite. It affects the chronic overachievers. It affects the taskmasters, the do-gooders, the movers and shakers, the executives, the leaders, the people who are working hard and long hours and trying to make an, a, an impact. But what happens is as their star rises, more and more gets put on their plate, more and more responsibilities or their business starts to grow and it starts to scale. And now there's all these things that are diluting their priorities. And then the net result is the exact same, which is that your most significant priorities at the end of the day are left unchecked, just like a classic procrastinator, not out of laziness, but because we allow ourselves to unconsciously or consciously fall victim to whatever is latest and loudest. We're living in a state of urgency and interruption. Yeah. And you refer to that in the book as about putting out fires. Putting out fires. Yeah. And I totally get that because it's like if you're putting out fires and you're dealing with the urgent, and I appreciate that you referred to the Stephen Covey, you know, quadrant that so many people are familiar with from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, if we spend our time putting out those fires, in some ways, it's like it makes us feel quote unquote productive. <laughs> it makes us feel mm -hmm. busy. It makes us feel important. Like actually, yes, we are working really hard. We're pulled in so many different directions. I love that priority dilution. So when you look at classic procrastination, to, to come back to your first question about what causes us to do it, even on things that we care about, psychologists say the number one cause of procrastination is actually self-criticism. Mm. It's thinking that I won't be good at it, or it won't be good enough, or I won't enjoy it, or I could see how it would work for somebody else, but it won't work for me. So a big theme in Take the Stairs is you cultivate the habit of action in your life by demanding progress. You demand progress, and at the same time, you simultaneously free yourself of the demand for perfection. Because most of us don't want to get started until, especially if it's something we care about, until it's the perfect time and we have the perfect plan and all the circumstances are just right. And that's why some of the most simple-minded people who you would not necessarily describe as intellectual mm -hmm. are the people who become some of the wealthiest people in the world. They're very unimpressive when you spend time around them and it's just because they focus, it's like, it's almost like they're, they don't have a high enough demand of themselves sometimes to require perfection, and so they just get busy doing it while some of us sit around and we want it to be perfect and then we never get started. Mm -hmm. So that is classic procrastination, but priority dilution is where the real change in thinking is, and that's the focus of procrastinate on purpose, five permissions to multiply your time. It's about changing the thinking because we live in a world of urgency, and the very first sentence in the book I don't know if this caught your attention, Beth, but the first sentence is everything you know about time management <laughs> is wrong. Yes, that did catch my attention. <laughs> so 
one of the things is urgency because as Dr. Covey made a huge advancement for us in our thinking about time management, he introduced the time management matrix where it was a two-dimensional graph, which is the y-axis was importance and the x-axis was urgency. And it gave us a way to sort of score our tasks and then weight them to better prioritize them. It was a, a huge advancement at the time and prioritizing has become basically the end-all be-all strategy for what we say for people who are busy. We say, you just need to get your priorities in, in order. You need to be a better prioritizer. And we throw it around like it's the, the holy grail. And yet what we started to notice with our coaching clients is that there is a massive limitation of prioritizing that nobody ever talks about. And that is there's nothing about prioritizing that creates more time. You know, all it does is it takes item number seven on your to-do list and it bumps it up to number one, but it doesn't help you accomplish the other items on your to-do list and it doesn't in and of itself create more time. And so what happens is we are making the urgency calculation, the result of which most of us are inappropriately overweighting the value of urgency because that's the paradigm that we're operating in. And so Think about how much the world has changed since 1989 when Dr. Covey's book came out. I mean, we didn't have internet and cell phones and social media and email. I mean, all those things were barely around, if at all. And now we live in a world of urgency. And what multipliers do that is radically different, and there's two things, I think, that make this book radically different than anything you've heard or read on productivity. But the first one is that multipliers don't live in a world of urgency. They live in a world of significance. And significance is different because if importance is how much does something matter and urgency is how soon does it matter, then significance is how long is this going to matter. And so instead of thinking inside of the construct of what's the most important thing I have to do today, which is exactly how most of us put together our to-do list and evaluate our tasks, multipliers don't think that way. They instead say, how can I use my time in a way today that creates more time tomorrow? And we call that the significance calculation. And the significance calculation changes everything. Well, you're talking about multipliers. Can you define what makes a person a multiplier? You've spoken to it a bit, but you know, maybe say a little bit more, and especially about what are some of the mm. things that do differentiate them from the average non-multiplier? Okay, yeah. So the way that you multiply your time is by giving yourself the emotional permission to spend time on things today that create more time tomorrow. So it's getting outside of the construct of just thinking about today and it is instead thinking about the future and realizing that you know significance is the natural counterbalancing force to urgency. Urgency is what matters right now, but significance is saying what matters tomorrow. Significance has been largely ignored in the world of productivity and just in the way that the world works and operates because we're always responding to incoming text messages and phone calls and emails and meetings and, and people walking into our office and interruptions. And we live in this constant state of like distraction and interruption. And multipliers have figured out that you can procrastinate on purpose with some of the urgent things. It's going to enable you to focus more on the significant things because, you know, one of the other common catchphrases that you hear a lot in the productivity world, which multipliers have basically exploded, is efficiency is doing things right and effectiveness is doing the right things. Mm -hmm. But multipliers have basically said, well, we don't care about either of those because it's not about doing things. And this is where it can be tricky for an introvert. And it's not that all introverts are taskmasters, but a lot of us, we retreat and we get more work done when we're alone. 
And if we're not careful, that the tendency can be exactly what you said, that we just get a lot of things done to make ourselves feel good. In fact, some of us will complete an activity. It wasn't on our to-do list, but we'll add it to our to-do list and then cross <laughs> it off just so we can get that shot of dopamine and feel like we're doing things. But yeah multipliers are different. Multipliers don't care about efficiency or effective. Well, it's not that they don't care about it. It's just not their primary consideration because it's not about doing things. It's simply about getting results and having clarity about what are the results you're trying to provide and giving yourself permission to do those things and to temporarily ignore the small stuff or procrastinate on purpose, as we say, with the small things and focus on the big things. And that word, you know, the focus on results is not efficiency or effectiveness. That word is efficacy. Hmm. And how do you define efficacy in this context? Just the ability to create results. Yeah. And it's not the willingness to, it is that you actually create the results. It's not the potential to, it's just that you have created results. And if you create the result by doing two things, then that is much better than somebody who did 10 things that didn't create the result. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the questions that you asked, Beth, was you said, so, so how do you then multiply your time practically? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we... Now, if you know the psychology of it is give yourself the permission to spend time on things today that create more time tomorrow, then when you get to the practical conversation or, okay, so what are things that we do to do that? We created a framework that we refer to as the focus funnel. And the focus funnel is our attempt to create a visual depiction that codifies the unconscious thought process that multipliers use when they are evaluating tasks that must be completed. Mm -hmm. And if you picture a funnel, at the top of the funnel, in the widest part of the funnel, is eliminate. In the middle is automate. At the bottom is delegate. Mm -hmm. If a task can't be eliminated, automated, or delegated, then that task falls out the bottom. And at that point, you have a task that you know must be done, and it must be done by you. So the only remaining question is, must this task be done now or can it wait until later? If the task must be done now, then we call that not eliminate, automate, or delegate, but concentrate. That is the permission to protect. That is the conversation about focus and eliminating distractions. However, if the answer to the question, can this wait until later, is yes, then that is where we are encouraging people and inviting them and challenging them to not eliminate, automate, or delegate, but to procrastinate on purpose, which is where the title of the book comes from. And so you pop that activity back to the top of the funnel, and you don't procrastinate on it forever. It enters into a holding pattern where it cycles through the funnel until at some point one of the other four strategies will be implemented. It will either be eliminated, automated, delegated, or concentrated. What I like about this is that it is empowering. You know, mm. we can feel like we're victims of procrastination. And what I hear is that you're inviting us to have kind of an intentional and conscious relationship and, and to leverage in some ways, like, you know, what it is that, yeah. what causes us to delay, delay, delay. And, and I think part of our guilt and just feeling bad about ourselves around procrastination is because we don't feel we have any control over it, or we don't know why it's happening. And the information you're giving us is really, it's empowering us to be able to be at choice with <laughs> what we're procrastinating a bit with and being intentional. That is the word intentional is, is where the delineation takes place. And you'll be amazed at so many things that are insignificant. You know, we're not talking about procrastinating the significant things, mm -hmm. but when you procrastinate on insignificant things, it's amazing how they take care of themselves. If I'm answering, sitting in front of my email all day, 
I literally can answer emails all day long and have like a net zero gain in my inbox. But if I allow myself to ignore my email for a while or if I pop it, I procrastinate on purpose with it and then I come back to it at the end of the day, it's funny because there'll be emails in there. Somebody sent me at 9 a.m. saying, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. What are we going to do here? And then at 2.30 in the afternoon, I get another email. Hey, you can ignore that first email. I've already taken care of it. Whereas if I'm in front of it right then, I'm going to engage and it's like you'll be amazed at people's ability to rise to a level of, of solving their own problems. But here's the distinction. There's a big difference in waiting to do something when you know you should be doing it and you don't feel like doing it versus waiting because you are intentionally deciding that now is not the right time. So waiting to do something when you know you should be doing it, mm -hmm. that's procrastination. You know, I know I should go to the gym. I don't feel like going. I know I need to make that phone call and I'm not going to do it. I know I need to start on that project. Mm -hmm. Can't get myself to do it because I don't feel like it. That's procrastination. That is a killer of all success and that is something that needs to be combated and that's something that is addressed directly in Take the Stairs. But waiting because you're deciding that now is not the right time, that's not procrastination. And that's not a killer of all success. In fact, that's a virtue. That is patience. Waiting intentionally is patience. And patience is a synonym for procrastinate on purpose. It's giving myself permission to have margin in my life that no, I don't need to be frenetically checking my email or answer every incoming phone call every second of every day. I can actually give myself permission to procrastinate on some of that stuff so that I can focus on the things that are significant, the things that create more time or more results tomorrow by spending my time today. So inaction that results from indulgence is procrastination in the classic sense of the word. Mm -hmm. But inaction that results from intention is patience. Mm. Indulgence versus intention. Mm-hmm. Beautiful distinction. And and I think this is going to be really important for the introverts listening, because before we started the official interview, I did a question out on my Facebook community asking about how people felt about their level of procrastination, and if their introversion had anything to do with it. And what was very interesting is that, especially of those who felt like they were strong procrastinators, and I think they were probably thinking of procrastination in that indulgence sense, they consistently cited that they procrastinate the most around things that involve reaching out to other people, um, especially on the phone, but it might be involved in the sales process or networking or asking for help or support, anything that has to do with calling a person <laughs> and reaching out. Whereas, you know, solitary activities or things that they're more autonomous with, they seem to say that they did not put off as much. But the real stumbling block was anything that had to do with reaching out to people. So what advice might you have for introverts who might tend to procrastinate on those kinds of tasks? Mm. You know, a couple of things on this. The, the first one that I would say is kind of we already touched on, and that is that you cultivate the habit of action by demanding progress and not perfection. You know, just challenge yourself and say, is there something about this that is making me afraid to do it because I'm setting a too high a standard or I'm not confident I'll know what to say or I'm not confident that they're going to like me or whatever and, and just get past that and embrace the idea that, hey, the way I get good at this is just by doing it and that's part of the fun and success is messy and just get mm -hmm. started and just kind of go and just do it and be okay. Give yourself the permission of imperfect. The other thing that I would say is that you have to remember with fear, and this is an oldie, but it's a goodie, and it's not, uh, I didn't come up with this, but I, I use it because it's, it's really good. Fear is an acronym. It stands for false evidence appearing real. 
you know, so it's a story. Fear is a story that we create in our own mind that is much worse than how things actually turn out to be in real life. And so you just got to remind yourself that it's false evidence appearing real. It's like our creativity working in the wrong direction. Things are never as bad as they sound or as good as they seem. And if you just remember that, that'll give you a little bit of peace and perspective. And then the last thing is, you know, you just kind of kind of do it. And it, it happens in the context of, of realizing something that we called and take the stairs, the paradox principle of sacrifice. And the paradox principle says easy short-term choices lead to difficult long-term consequences. Meanwhile, difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences. So avoiding that conversation that needs to, to happen or putting off that, that thing that you know you should be doing is dangerous because it's going to create more stress and difficulty for you later on. It's going to be harder later. Waiting always makes it worse. When you realize that procrastination and indulgence are really nothing more than creditors that charge you interest, then that typically seems to give you the perspective to empower you to say, no, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do it now because it's going to be easiest now uh, rather than waiting until later. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me that there's there's the negative cost that could come in tangible form in the form of, you know, business. Um, you know, you wait one day and somebody else scoops in and does a better bid or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. They said, well, I didn't hear from you yet, so I moved ahead with someone else. Um, but there's also what I found is the emotional, you know, the psychic weight and energy that it occupies, you know, how much space it rents in my head. I see that as a huge cost especially to the introvert whose energy is really um, their biggest asset. So being able to have that idea of, you know, am I willing to pay for this with interest gives it a nice um, new framework. Yeah, and that's a significance calculation. When you're thinking longer term and you're realizing, wow, there's going to be interest that I'm ending up paying here. That's a, an example of, you know, making that significance calculation, getting outside of just what feels good now or what do I want to do today? And it's moving into thinking about tomorrow. But here's something that's worth highlighting. There is a cost to being too late, but there is also a cost of being too early, potentially. Mm -hmm. And we're all very aware of the cost of being too late, you know, after the last minute cost. These are overnight shipping or added stress, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And we, you hear about that all the time. One of the things that I had to learn through the course of conducting some of these profile interviews is there is also a cost of acting too early, and we call it the unexpected change cost. Doing something early is not the same as creating more time. That's just taking something from tomorrow and moving it into today and then adding the risk of unexpected change cost. A great real-life example of this is if I have a flight coming up in six months, I'm going to go travel somewhere. The hard-driving taskmaster checklist, you know, chronic overachiever in me wants me to book that flight today, cross it off my to-do list, get my shot of dopamine, and feel like I'm being productive. But to a multiplier, they say, well, there's a risk to doing that because if a one month before you fly out, your plans have changed. Now you have to spend additional time to go in and modify your reservation and likely pay the, an actual financial cost of a change fee. Mm -hmm. So there is a cost of being too early as, as well. It, it's basically that it is an underutilization of your greatest asset, which is time. So we used to say early is on time, on time mm -hmm. is late, and late is you're fired. But multipliers would say, well, late is still you're, you're fired, but early is risky because it's an underutilization of your greatest asset 
and multipliers instead work to be precisely on time. And it strikes me that you can use the early thing again to feel productive and to procrastinate about other things. <laughs> like I'm, I'm being productive because I'm moving something that was yesterday and I'm using my excuse of like, oh, well, I can do that today instead of doing this today and buy myself time. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, it's, it, it seems like we can justify that and think mm-hmm. that it's something that's working in our favor when what I hear you saying is not necessarily and uh, you, you really need to be, again, intentional about it. Well, and one thing that you keep kind of bringing up, Beth, is just kind of how we how we convince ourselves and mm-hmm. we, you know, you know, have this kind of internal dialogue. And, and that's a really, really powerful part that we haven't yet talked about. And, you know, we started off by saying everything you know about time management is wrong. The significance calculation is one of the radical things. Uh, that makes this book different from what you've ever read before on on productivity. But the second thing is actually something I learned from a two-year-old. I was with my business partner, Dustin, and it was a Saturday morning, and we were having a huge, very critical work meeting, but we had to do it on Saturday to get schedules to coordinate. It's rare that we would meet on a Saturday, but we were doing it. Mm-hmm. So I go over to his house early Saturday morning. I'm picking him up, and right as we're leaving, his little two-year-old baby girl, Haven, comes running down the hallway. And she is so sweet. She has this little brown curly hair and these sweet brown eyes, a little southern accent kind of already developing. And <laughs> and she, she leaps with her whole body and latches around his leg. And she says, Daddy, where are you going? Mm-hmm. And he, he looks at her and he says, Oh, I'm sorry, baby Haven. Daddy has to go to work today. And her eyes, Beth well up with tears and she starts crying and she says no daddy please no work no work today daddy no and in that moment i had two realizations the first one is that i personally am not ready to have children of my own quite just yet (laughs) but the second one was that everything you read about time management is about tips and tricks tools and technology calendars and checklists to help you fit more in you know apps to do things faster or systems to better organize so that you can do more and fit more in everything that we hear about time management is logical And in that moment, looking at Little Haven, it occurs to me that today, time management isn't just logical, it's emotional. Mm -hmm. And our feelings of guilt and fear and worry and anxiety dictate how we choose to spend our time as much as what's on our calendar. And yet that human element of our decision-making related to productivity has been completely ignored. And so part of the fascinating exploration of our journey and what ended up you know, being what the book is about is that emotional side of time management. And that's where the subtitle, The Five Permissions, to multiply your time comes from. That word permissions is connected to the self-management of the whole conversation. Yeah. And that's another empowering part of it for me, because it's like so often we need to give ourselves permission for certain things. So thank you for doing that. We did not get to get into specifically what those five permissions were, but I think some people could probably guess what some of them are based on what we've shared so far. So for um, more information about that, please run out (laughs) or click quickly to get your copy of Procrastinate on Purpose. Yeah. And actually, what one thing that we did, Beth, was because some of this is so radical and it flies so directly in the face of a lot of the common cliches we hear around time management, Mm -hmm. um, we actually put together a free one hour webinar so that people could really sit with this um, and, and understand it and, and, and wrestle with it. And so if you go to procrastinateonpurpose.com, you can check out the free webinar, you can watch it, 
and then there's links there to buy the book and also get discount on on our first book if you decide you like what you hear. So that's what I would say is go to procrastinateonpurpose.com and and start there. Awesome. Thank you. That's a that's a great idea. Thank you so much, Rory, for everything that you've shared with us. I want to ask a final question that I ask of all my guests. Okay. And this is about Introvert Island, which based on your level of introversion, I think you might really appreciate as well as how busy you are. <laughs> but you've been granted a three week vacation on Introvert Island, and you can only take three books with you. Which would you take with you and why? Wow, that is such an interesting question. I... um. Well, the first one would definitely be the Bible, and that's because I take that book everywhere with me, and I read a, at least a little bit out of it every day, uh, so that one for sure. But the other two, you know, if you would have asked me, like, what my favorite books were, or or even if you would have asked me what books are the most influential in my life, mm-hmm. they would be different than what two books would I take with me if I were on an island by myself. <laughs> I would probably say uh, The Greatest Salesman in the World. Uh, it's a book written by Og Mandino, and it's pretty old, but it has these 10 scrolls. And, you know, I, I uh, being in sales when I first started out, that was the very first book I ever read. And it talks about, you know, these affirmations that, that people of great success tell themselves over and over. And it's just, it's weaved in a story and it's easy, quick read. So I would say that one. And then the other one would probably be The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. Mm-hmm. And, and that is also a fiction book or, a, uh, yeah, a fiction book which talks about some key moments in history and some leaders that were developed. Like you go into the, he takes you into the room with Harry Truman right before he makes the decision to drop the atomic bomb. And, you know, it's really kind of cool the way he incorporates history and then also kind of like personal development, but just really empowering books. So I'd say the Bible, the greatest salesman in the world and the traveler's gift. Thank you for sharing those. Thank you. You mentioned procrastinateonpurpose.com and it sounds like that's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more. Are you more active than other on any social media networks that people can connect in that kind of community as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn and very active on Twitter, and um, we got a you know a fan page on on Facebook. Um, you know, so you can if you go to procrastinateonpurpose.com and you get plugged in there, you'll you'll get links to all that stuff, my podcast, and um, we can kind of point you. And you know, the last little thing I would just leave everybody with is on this journey of trying to overcome procrastination and improve self discipline and and try to find to some solutions for multiplying time and creating more margin in our life. We've we've had a lot of a lot of great breakthroughs and insights for our own understanding. And one of the most powerful things that we have learned and seems to be true over and over is you just got to remember no matter who you are and what you're doing success is never owned success is only rented and the rent is due every day words to live by (laughs) thank you rory thank you so much my pleasure thanks for having me beth part four final reflection There are endless books, blogs, consultants, and resources that focus on time management and productivity. I hope the information that Rory and I shared with you helps you to sift through the chatter and cut to what's most important. Because perhaps it's all simpler than we make it out to be. It's not about a better calendar or a better system. Consider that it's not time that you need to manage. It's information, it's priorities, and it's energy. That small shift in perspective might just make all the difference. 
Thank you for sharing this time with me. If you enjoyed this podcast, I invite you to share it with your friends, family, and colleagues, and consider leaving a review on iTunes. And of course, you'll find more information about introverts, entrepreneurship, and the services I have to offer at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. This is Beth Below, and you've been listening to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. Until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. <laughs>